0: Nourish, gather, grow. Welcome to the Nourishing Liberty podcast. Our mission is to inspire and empower families and communities to nurture each other and the earth through our choices and interactions. We believe that nurturing our ecosystems is one of the greatest legacies we can leave future generations. We believe that individually we are important and valuable in this process and together, we create community. Nurture begins by nourishing ourselves and our communities, both physically and spiritually. Let's grow together. Welcome back to the Nourishing Liberty podcast. Today, I have my friend and farmer Sharon Briggs on the line. And Sharon is unique in farming in my world She is a mushroom farmer. So today we are going to learn from Sharon all about the beautiful, wonderful world of mushrooms and how she came to be growing them and providing them to her community. Sharon, welcome and thank you so much for being here.
1: Hi, thanks for having me Liz.
0: So one of the first things that comes to mind when I think of you, when I think of mushroom farming in general, is The how question, like, how is it that you one day woke up and said, I want to farm mushrooms. I'm going to, I'm going to grow them. How is that? Can you tell us briefly what led you to really make mushrooms your life?
1: Well, I I love stories that have that epiphany moment, but unfortunately, I'm not as much of a risk taker, (laughs) so I never uh, really jump into things necessarily, but I do love those stories when somebody's like, oh, right then, Um, but I uh, started growing mushrooms in college um, in the early 2000s. I went to school in central West Virginia, and um, I worked in a wastewater treatment plant, and I had access, um, I, I ran lab tests and I had access to our autoclave that sometimes had a little extra room to put things in when I was doing our normal runs and nobody minded. So um, I started to learn about mycology back then. That's been well, about 14 years ago. Um, and then it's it, it grew and grew as an interest just because everywhere I turned to learn about something else, about trees, about, you know, any other type of plant or animal, mushrooms came up. (laughs) So uh, it kind of was something that I always was interested in. And then I kept finding um, information about fungi that I found fascinating and all these other facets of nature. Um, So it definitely wasn't like a, well, you know, oh, I just learned about this, I'm gonna start a farm. It was a a really long-term process of touring other farms, taking courses and growing my own personal passion to where at one point um, we were looking around and we were like, we're pretty much already running a lab the size of a small farm, (laughs) so let's go for it.
0: That's great. Sharon, that's that's really great. I love the the slower, gradual stories as well, because it just shows that consistency over time leads to things. you know, We're not all just overnight, this happened, right? So much of life is really about that slow, consistent growth. Uh, and so there's there's three words that you used just now in your explanation. And I'd love to dig a little deeper on each of them. So you said mycology, you said mushroom, and you said fungi. What is, first of all, what do each of them mean? And what is the difference? Like if you were gonna say, what is the difference between fungi and mushroom? Like, how do you explain that? So can you just briefly tell everyone what each of those words means and how they're different than each other?
1: Yeah, yeah. For a brief explanation, um, I think we probably overuse the word mushroom um, in this industry in general because it's just kind of people think of mushrooms. That's what comes to mind uh, when they think of anything in the world of fungi. Um, But uh, fungi is actually a classification. So um, animal Mineral fungi. Uh, So, uh, fungi are not actually animals and not actually plants. They actually are their own classification. Um, So, when we talk about fungi, we're talking, it covers a much larger range of uh, different. Uh, organisms and most of them are not things that we use in a culinary or um, maybe even medicinal sense really that are used in in modern day. Um, So fungi is really a whole classification Um, and you know as a farmer I do tend to use the word fungi or some people pronounce it fungi um, uh, because I'm working with the mycelium which is Uh, you know, what grows a mushroom and, uh, and um, fungi covers the whole, the whole uh, category of what I'm doing. Even if I'm um, uh, just for fun sampling um, uh, a lichen out in my backyard that I'm trying to, you know, test and see like, oh, what type is this? You know, I'm working with fungi at that moment. Um, Mushroom is actually the fruiting body of, 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 the, a specific type of fungi. Um, and what we think of is actually, what we are eating on our table is actually that fruiting body. So it's like um, looking at a cherry tree and you're know you you're gonna eat the cherry, that's like the mushroom, but there's a lot more to that tree <laughs> that uh, we, we might use different terminology for. And um, mycology is the study a fungi overall. So we run a mycology lab, um, uh, on our farm here. And in that lab, we manipulate fungi and we actually do do some research. So we do study it.
0: Okay. That's, that's a great breakdown on those three words. And, and you actually use another word I would like you to define in talking about those, which is mycelium. And I I like the way you explained the relationship between mushroom and cherry tree that, you know, that's to me, that's a very vivid image that gives me context. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I don't eat the leaves. I don't eat the bark of the cherry tree. All I eat is the cherry. And, but mycelium, that is kind of the rest of the cherry tree.
1: Exactly. Um, A lot of times we, we tend to go to the analogy of uh, it's like the roots of the plant because we think of it as growing underground, but of course for when you see a mushroom growing in a tree, that mycelium is in the tree. Um, so in mycelium is uh, just this amazing thing. It's, it's, this is one of the areas where you really can start to say how dramatically different fungi are than, than the plant kingdom. Uh, or classification. Um, because uh, first of all mycelium breathes like us, not like plants. <laughs> it, it breathes in oxygen and, and produces carbon dioxide. Um, and uh, so it has a completely different way of respiring. Um, and then mycelium works like the root system of most plants where it uh, moves nutrients and water uh, to where it needs to go to best support the, the life system of the fungi. Um, and mycelium uh, basically is any, while the plant is, or I'm sorry, while the fungi is is developing uh, and until it's ready to actually produce a fruiting body, um, everything else is mycelium. And that can be as, as small as a, uh, um, a very small area underneath of an oak tree or mycelium can connect to other mycelium within the same species and expand. And that's why we have you know, some um, mushrooms are some of the largest organisms, living organisms in the world because that mycelium is so diverse and has the ability to really grow uh, so large.
0: Wow, that's amazing. And you know what? I never heard that before that, fungi and at any point when I use the wrong word in the in somewhere please correct me because I do want to get this right but I'd never heard that they breathe like we do they breathe in oxygen and they breathe carbon dioxide out that is yeah, absolutely fascinating
1: some people are actually experiment with uh using them in their indoor grow rooms um like with the, uh, legalization of marijuana across the country. Some people are actually starting to grow mushrooms, you know, I guess near their plants. Um, and I, uh, have read a little bit about some people growing them along with, um, orchids, people who specialize in orchids because it helps with the respiration, but there also is apparently some other symbiotic relationship there. Um, so I think there's probably a lot of, uh, interesting places where you could go knowing that mushrooms and plants literally breathe off of each other and how we're moving um, forward with uh, agriculture in um, you know urban environments and different scaled environments. Uh, and, and I think you know you're not somebody who's new to talking about plants and a lot of people don't realize that that's a fact. So it's very interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean there's some things that absolutely fascinate me about fungi. And one of them is the relationship between fungi and uh, pretty much, well, I'll say very broadly, the rest of life on earth, <laughs> but <laughs> specifically how fungi help empower plants to communicate with each other. And I think this is kind of a newer field of research. So I don't know that it's very well articulated yet but just reading some of the cursory research on it it's unbelievable it is so fascinating and then you touched on fungi and mycelium being some of the largest living organisms in the world and i i'd I'd heard that before as well and i think about that and it's i also think about then uh you know me you know i'm very conservation minded (laughs) and so Then uh, my heart goes to, oh my gosh, well, what happens when all of these forests get dug up for development or what happens when um, other destruction comes across? And so really what happens, what happens to these mycelia that are are not always visible to us because they're either uh, growing inside of rotten trees or they're growing underground or... Uh, we just don't notice them. So, what happens?
1: Oh my goodness, you're you're asking the big questions <laughs> because I, I, um, I mean, obviously, every every species is interacting within the forest on on multiple levels, and it and it's definitely true. We really only know the tip of the tip of the iceberg um, about what is going on underground with symbiotic or even parasitic relationships between fungi and other um, plant life. Uh, So, uh, yeah, obviously um, the detrimental impact of just losing the forest overall is, you know, uh, as as it slowly happens is um, going to create some cataclysmic issues, um, and fungi specifically, I don't know exactly where that falls into, you know, what exactly, uh, losing the fungi, how that would impact us, but I do know that because it has such a strong relationship with all those other plants, um, that, and like I said, that we know about because there's so much more we're always learning. Uh, And then those plants are feeding the wildlife. Um, So, you know, it, it, as you know, it is all connected and uh, it's not necessarily that losing the fungi would make one specific uh, issue more severe. It's really just the overall (laughs) issues.
0: Yeah, I hear you. And I don't wanna get too deep in the, And down that path today, because what I what I really want to focus on is what can we do in our homes, in our own lives, to restore some of our environment, restore some of the fungi in our forests, right? So this really is about it. And and one thing I appreciate about you, Sharon, is that um, because of you, I can do that in my own home. I can call you up and get my own mushroom bags and my own starter um mushroom starter kit uh and then I can participate in the regrowing of certain fungi right limited species but here we are (laughs) um so that's that's one thing that people can do on an immediate level and now these are mushrooms that we grow for food right and The ones I got from you are shiitake, plugs, and and why don't you give a quick overview of what that means, and then uh, oyster mushrooms. So tell us about that individual level growing process and how you uh, foster that, how you nurture that, and how you provide that within your community because people can do that in their own homes and it's a way of growing food, it's a way of participating back in the food web and the environment?
1: Yeah, the Grow Your Own products are really where our passion is. Um, and uh, probably one of the reasons we really started this business. Um, we we love, you know, the, the looks on people's faces and just get them sending us pictures and getting to experience this thing that, uh, um, you know, is happening in nature all the time around you, but isn't always happening in your kitchen. (laughs) So, um, yeah, we, uh, do, uh, do grow kits that are the ready to grow bags, like you're growing your oysters on. And then I, I think you might've been asking me to explain what the dowels are or the plugs. Um, and, uh, for those, uh, for shiitake, which is one of the more common types of mushrooms grown in the United States, they grow very well on logs. So about this time of year, um, people can cut their logs, drill holes in them, and then put a pre-inoculated dowel that we inoculated in our lab um, into the mushroom log. Uh, and over the next 12 or 9 to 12 months, the mycelium, um, will grow off of those tiny wood dowels that we've provided you and um, will fill the entire inside of the log basically. It'll be eating the wood in the log. Um, and after about nine to 12 months, depending on the season, you can soak that log, give it a little bump. And what you're doing there is you're actually replicating that the limb that the mushroom was growing in uh, on a tree fell out of the tree. So you're giving it a good hard thump to replicate that that limb fell out of the tree. And um, it will indicate to the mycelium well, I'm not, I just fell. And then you provide a bunch of water to give it an ideal condition to fruit. And I'll say, well, I better reproduce now. And it'll produce its fruiting bodies, which which are the mushrooms. Um, So those are an awesome way. The logs and growing on logs is one of my favorite ways to introduce um, my neighbors to growing mushrooms. uh, Because there's a lot of Benefits. One is ju- it's just a fun process. You can get the kids, the grandkids, everybody together, get out the drill. It, you know, you're doing, you're waxing the um, dowel points afterwards. So it's something everybody can participate in. The logs, that they take a little while, that nine months to a year, till they do give you mushrooms. They're good for four years or more, depending on how long you fruit them and they're kind of a nice conversation piece i mean especially for people with small yards or just a patio you don't need much room to grow them and and i find that shiitakes are one of the most beloved mushrooms and everybody really can identify them and and knows whether they like them <laughs> so, so. Well, and
0: they're delicious right yeah oh yeah i love them <laughs> so. me too so i'm going yeah. to tell you my my story there and and i actually we have shiitake logs and we've had them for years Sorry. It was before I knew you. Um, But yeah, that process of getting together, we had a whole community event where we all, we provided logs from a fallen tree and we drilled for a whole afternoon. And then everybody got to go home with an inoculated mushroom log. And I never heard that before about you give the log a good bump. I'd never heard that one. That's really interesting because they've been growing mushrooms now. We've just left them alone. And then you're right. It took like 9 months for the first batch to come in, and then we just had so many. There were so many we could not eat them all. So we dried some, <laughs> we gave some away. But then we'll get these this big flush of mushrooms after a big rain or not even a big rain. Like not during the winter so much, but all three other seasons we get them. And it, you're right. It's so much fun and it brings people together and it gets people curious about mushrooms and about what's going on and it, it's a community event to start the logs, right? Because you can do this in a big batch and get so many logs started all at once with the same amount of effort, I feel like. It's like whether you start 10 logs or 50 logs, maybe a hundred's a different story, but the, the difference <laughs> between 10 logs and 50 logs is not a lot of effort. It's just a few more drilling. Few oh more yeah,
1: holes. yeah. You get a, get a few people together, have a cookout or something, and- You can whip through some logs and have a good time doing it.
0: (laughs) And then you have mushrooms for years afterwards. I'm like, sometimes you go out to your yard and you just get this surprise mushroom bloom.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: So, and then the other one I was asking you about was oyster mushrooms. That one was a little bit newer, a little bit different for me, because that comes in grow bags and yours, the ones that you provide are biodegradable. They look, you know, they've got the same, look of plastic so you can see through them, but they are biodegradable. And that's a little bit more, needs a little more TLC, right?
1: Yeah, they're a great product to grow indoors. Um, They're also Again, all these things are just great for kids and families, and I love when people, you know, send me feedback that their kids love the product. <laughs> it makes me so happy. But uh, yeah, yeah, they uh, um, do take a little bit more care, especially in the winter, because they do require humidity everything that they need to grow is inside of the bag but and all you have to do is uh, you know the end user growing them is um put a slit in the bag uh but then you need to make sure that once they start to fruit there's enough ambient moisture in the air which can be a little harder in the winter especially when a lot of us are running our heat um so uh that's a little bit more making sure that you have the right environment for it but they are great Um, conversation piece and it's pretty low maintenance for something that's kind of an exotic uh, culinary um, item that you can grow on your counter.
0: Yeah, that one was a lot of fun too. We didn't get as many as we did with the shiitakes, but it was a lot of fun to grow and harvest and cook all at once. Yeah. (laughs) Now, one of the really interesting things I learned about eating mushrooms, and the human digestive system and the relationship there is that the the mushroom cell wall is so uh, rubbery for lack of a better term that we have to cook it incredibly thoroughly. So all that cell wall breaks down so our digestive system can then access the nutrients in the mushrooms. And what about those nutrients? What can you say about the human nutrition and mushrooms.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, in a lot of Asian cultures, they do eat mushrooms raw. And from what I understand, um, because they have for generations, it, the, the, their body processes the nutrients more efficiently. So this is kind of one of those interesting, you know, it just hasn't been a strong part of most of our culinary traditions in the West. So. Um, you know, just an interesting (laughs) note there on that. But yeah, the the polysaccharides from the, uh, in the cell wall of the mushroom um, do generally mean that they have to be cooked. And indeed some people will, even edible mushrooms, if they eat them raw, will have gastrointestinal issues um, from them. Uh, It's not an allergy or anything. It's just the way their body um, uh, can't digest. those, uh, that self structure properly. Um, but other than that, once you give it a light cook, <laughs> mushrooms are very healthy. They're high in vitamin D, which is something that um, a lot of vegetarians struggle to get. Um, and so it's a, you know, a great replacement in a, uh, for meat and a lot of um, dishes. Um, And depending on the mushroom, of course, uh, most culinary mushrooms just have like high vitamin D, vitamin K, and um, I think shiitake has pretty high vitamin A. Uh, But of course, then once you delve into the world of medicinal mushrooms, you're looking at a whole new realm of possibilities. Um,
0: Yeah, you know, that's really interesting because I have to tell you something kind of silly right now. Um, (laughs) I'm drinking one of those kombuchas that's also got uh, mushroom extract in it. And oh. yeah, it's like one of those triple ones. And then, you know, I, I, I talked to herbalists and people who have had uh, different mushroom tinctures. So there's a lot to say about the medicinal properties of mushrooms. And even the ones that aren't strictly that we wouldn't necessarily eat for culinary purposes might have quite a few benefits for us used in the proper way, whether that's an extraction or a tea or some other way. So I'm with you there. And like the, the, the benefits that mushrooms have for humans
1: are almost incalculable. Would you say? Oh yeah. Yeah. Another, just another area where we really only know the tip of the iceberg.
0: (laughs) Yes. And you know, it's really interesting to hear you talking about the specific fat soluble vitamins in mushrooms and how that's closer in relationship to nutrients we might get from animal fats rather than plants, right? So it's really interesting, the relationships there, like the similarities between fungi and animals versus the similarity between fungi and plants.
1: Fascinating to me. It is really interesting. And, you know, I find myself always making these, um, you know, comparisons in my head of uh, uh, plants or fungi or p- fungi to animals <laughs> because there are, you know, some parallels there. Um, so it's it is really this unique, this unique category that um, the more you learn about it, the more it kind of mystifies.
0: I agree with you there, and not just in terms of the way we can get nutrition from eating them, but also in how they work with our ecosystems, right? Because fungi are hundred percent essential (laughs) to all of our ecosystems. Mm -hmm. And again, it's one of those things where it's like, they're largely invisible. Like the parts of the fungi that we see are such a small percentage of the part that is there that we tend to forget, or we tend to not necessarily fully appreciate the different roles they have in our ecosystems and then honor those roles. Like it's very clear to see the leaves fall on the earth in the fall. We can see that. And then we know what happens. We know that those leaves, when left in place, they turn back into soil. They, just, they, um, they compost and they turn back into soil with of course the help of fungi and microorganisms. But what we don't see in that process is the role of fungi. And we don't necessarily see the vast networks underground of tiny little tendrils of mycelia and how those mycelia are interacting with both what we do see and the other things that we don't see.
1: Exactly. Um, And, you know, back to the conversation earlier when you were talking about how is it gonna impact us as we're losing this fungi? I, I, it just strikes me that I feel like even after all the trees all the plants, almost all the humans are gone. I feel like the only thing that's gonna be left is a cockroach and some fungi because it is so resilient. Um, It really, it can basically go into a dried hibernation stage depending on the species for an extended period of time. And you you can literally go up to one of our, like, like the grow bag for the oyster mushroom that you had. You know, if your conditions were clean enough or fate was with you, you could take a chunk off of that and throw it into your garden, and and in a you know month, you might see oyster mushrooms growing in the mulch just by grabbing a chunk off. It really is. amazingly resilient. Um, They've had samples of fungi that they've resurrected that have been stored, that have been hundreds of years old. Um, So it's this uh, kind of almost a, a super classification fungi. I really do think that the only thing that would be left is them and the cockroaches. (laughs) I mean, that's so fascinating, you know, that it's, it's,
0: we're speculating here on the uh, complete apocalypse of the entire world at once and only cockroaches (laughs) and fungi surviving, but you know what though, I am counting on that resiliency for, um, well, I'll just tell you a little secret. I'm like, I see my grow bags of the oyster mushrooms and I'm like, oh, what will happen if I just put them in the compost? Well, they just keep surprising me.
1: So oh, I have this. That is exactly dish. what you should do. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, throw them in your compost, especially with spring coming up and uh, you never know um, what might pop out of your mulch.
0: <laughs> well, I, I have to tell you, I will be like overly excited about that and like maybe a little too uh, ambitious on it and be disappointed if it doesn't happen. <laughs> but but you know you you really touched on a key point here which is how important adaptation is for these organisms not just mushrooms and fungi but of course everything right and we are in a situation right now where we're we're facing extinction i mean i don't mean we are imminently facing extinction i mean we are facing levels of extinction right now that are maybe a little hard for us to understand and fungi in general, they are so resilient and they're so adaptive and they can be some of our best allies in uh, bringing our ecosystems more resiliency. Right. And one of the things, I mean, the, the whole world of fungi is so fascinating to me and it's mysterious, right? I'm not, I'm not a fungi specialist. I have not studied mycology. So I just stay in the world of awe and amazement with all the new fun little facts I learned. And one of the things I've come across is that some fungi have adapted to eating plastic
1: in a yes. way that
0: allows our earth to finally deal with this.
1: And that gives me hope. Oh, yeah. that's. Uh, thank you for saying hope because that is... That is one of the reasons I run a mushroom farm because uh, as much as the we are facing a mass extinction and climate change and just the world can feel like it's deteriorating more and more around us every day, uh, there are so many things about fungi that uh, that, that just you know bring hope to me and I and really make me feel like um, maybe there's a way to turn it around <laughs> with future generations and and with uh, what they call mycoremediation, which is using fungi to um, uh, remediate, Soils or waters, or turn plastics back into a, you know, a, a usable uh, soil resource. Uh, they're not just doing that with plastic, but there also are some pretty large scale experiments now at doing it with um, coal uh, mine runoff and some other mine runoff. Which, of course, I'm in. Paul, Paul West Virginia. Uh, we're in the Northern section of the state. So um, we aren't really in coal country, but uh, um, my state has had a lot of uh, history of coal runoff causing horrible issues. And, um, you know, that is just something that it, it brings such hope to me to know that maybe one day we could just be throwing a whole bunch of wine cap spawn out at these sites and, you know, <laughs> uh, really, really taking the minerals out of the soil and converting them um, to a toxin-free um, soil materials. Uh, and the studies so far are really showing that it's possible. Yes, I love that too. I love the way that
0: that, that kind of information, that kind of um, excitement around fungi and their role, that it can lead to so much hope and so much A a new area of thinking right and now you said wine caps. so i'm familiar with wine caps, but can you briefly explain what wine caps are and why they are. um, Why are they, why are they a symbol of hope in all of this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just threw that out as an example. They're a common um, mushroom. Um, King Kingstrophoria is another name uh, for them. Um, and they are considered, the, they're called the garden giant or the garden bed mushroom. Uh, and they're a great, uh, they're culinarily, they're similar to our a portobello cap and they look like a portobello stem and cap mushroom. Um, but they grow well in garden or agriculture scenarios in uh, plain wood chips. Uh, they're very abundant. They tend, they're, they're persistent, they come back um, perennially. Um, in pretty much any climate, um, or they're very diverse in their climate. <laughs> and uh, they're just great for gardeners who have that little patch of shade in the back, <laughs> or wanna kind of throw a few things in between their pepper plants. And you know, while you're benefiting from the mushrooms that are growing every spring, and then maybe you're getting a little smaller batch in the fall in your garden, your soil is benefiting from that mycelium underneath the ground kind of creating them channels to move water and nutrients more efficiently. So they are they're one of the great gardeners mushrooms. Um,
0: And great culinarily. I mean I've, I've had them, I haven't grown them yet, but I have had them from other local sources and. The thing I will say that I was the most surprised about with wine caps is how quickly they turned not good to eat after they were harvested. <laughs> that was
1: Which is completely why you shocked. Not, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why you do not see them in the store and why most people do not know about them. <laughs> so, right. Um, yeah. Uh, a little bit of interesting history on that um, uh, is, uh, you know, I don't want to say the wrong country, but I, I believe in the Netherlands, they traditionally grow them. Um, uh, in between corn, uh, so the it helps uh, the you know them so they can minimize the water they have in the corn the mycelium is helping the water spread quickly. Um, and then just the timing works out well for it, so they're very popular there. Um, and and a lot of times, uh, European guests will come up to our farmers market stand, and we own we don't really we haven't sold the fresh wine caps yet, uh, but we do sell the spawn. And um, you know, when they see the sign, they'll be so happy to see it <laughs> because they have a connotation with home. But really, it's really just beginning to kind of catch on here in the U.S. And we sell uh, the spawn at. Gar- garden sales and people are really just starting to um, to learn what it is and, and they love it. Uh, this summer we'll actually be growing um, a patch of corn on our farm and we're going to attempt to impregnate the corn with a type of fungi called corn smut, which is a popular, um, uh, it's popular in Mexican cuisines. It's a fungi that grows, it looks kind of like a mold on corn, uh, but it has a cheesy consistency. And we will be growing wine caps on the beds between the corn. So I'm excited to see how that experiment goes.
0: Wow, that's fascinating. And now if somebody wanted to start growing wine caps, what is the process there? And by somebody, you know, maybe I mean me, <laughs> but how, how would that work? Like what would, what would be my first steps other than, hey, Sharon, can I buy some wine caps spawn? I mean, what, what would be the next steps so that people can then have this incredibly versatile uh, garden friend
1: and then also a food for their own table? Yeah, um, well, uh, so we recommend that people put the spawn into their garden in the spring or fall. Um, And so uh, you wouldn't really want to do it in our region until, you know, after mid... uh, maybe after mid-March, <laughs> at least. Um, so we actually, I was just in the lab yesterday, starting my wine cap production for the year. Um, and uh, in about a month, we'll start our sales for them. Um, it's very simple. I mean, it's as simple as putting it in your garden. It comes in a block. It, it's going to look very similar to... Uh, this might not help you, our listeners, but the the uh, oyster mushroom kit that you received, which basically just looks like a, it's a biodegradable plastic bag that has a little white filter on it, and inside is it was sawdust spawn that was sterilized and inoculated with wine cap um, culture, uh, and. Um, uh, when you get that that bag as an oyster mushroom kit, you, you're growing it indoors, you just slice a, a, a slit or a hole into it and the mushrooms grow out of the bag. For wine cap, you're just gonna take it, you're gonna put a layer of about three inches or more of mulch. Some people do um, cardboard and mulch, which which works just fine, um, and do a, um, uh, I'm sorry, a lasagna style bed for it, if you know what I mean. Um, Uh, and you wet the mulch, you break up that whole block of mycelium, and you scatter it throughout the mulch, and then you're going to want to make sure in the dead heat of the summer that you're watering it occasionally, but really it's, it's pretty versatile. You don't really have to do much other than provide new mulch as it grows um, and try not to disturb the whole area. Like it's totally fine to plant some things in there, but you wouldn't want to really rake the whole thing up and scatter it. And uh, it's a pretty resilient mushroom. Actually, uh, several people have told me there are towns that have free compost. The wine caps will just be growing all in the compost. (laughs) so there's really not too much more to do. I love that, I mean, make it, easier for us, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> like that, that means that it's accessible to anyone. And that is one of the things that I love because Sharon, you and I, what we want to do is we want to infect people with wanting to grow their own food, right? Oh, yeah. And if we could do something as simple as like, here, take this handful of mulch and sawdust and sprinkle it in your yard. It's almost like jack and the beanstalk with his magic beans right
1: yeah exactly and like the shiitake logs it makes an interesting conversation piece it's productive for years and I mean you don't really have to do much at all and it keeps
0: coming back you can keep enjoying it and then you can spread it right you can give like if I get some of the wine caps then I can take some of that same mulch in a couple of years. Cause now it's gonna spread. Cause that's what mushrooms do, right? Mushrooms yeah. spawn, right? Am I using the right terminology here?
1: No, mushrooms... no, you
0: you are the mycelium which would, would spread throughout the soil. Yeah. And then I could take a handful of mulch and give it to somebody else. It's kind of like, exactly. Yeah. Kind of like those friendship cakes of the <laughs> 80s and 90s. Yeah.
1: I was just going to say, I would love to see, you know, I would love to go to, I go to these, uh, I'm a master gardener and a master naturalist in my state. And I go to these plant swaps and these seed swaps sometimes. Sometimes I'll just bring, you know, some dowels or some mycelium sometimes. And I can't wait to have a future where more people are just bringing in their wine cap spawn or their, you know, other garden spawn. Like I I really think it's, uh, that's going to become more popular.
0: I agree with you and I think we can help make it become more popular by doing this more and by talking about it more right and that's one of your passions too is teaching people about mushrooms and creating community around the idea of growth and the idea of uh, people learning about
1: fungi. Yeah it's it's definitely the um, one of the reasons we started the business was because we really can see how it makes an important impact in our community and, and, and internationally and nationally.
0: (laughs) I agree. I mean, and and also I think we share the same mindset of do what you can where you are right
1: now. Yeah. And to that end, one of the, the, the missions of, of our farm is to really make sure that we're providing um, you know, our fresh product. Like we sell at local farmers markets here and we sell at a very reasonable uh, price. Uh, we wanna make these things that would oyster mushrooms aren't available at any local grocery stores here. We'd have to go over the state line to get them. Um, So these things aren't even available to people that were selling in the small towns of some of them. Um, So we wanna make this product that might not even be available, that's very healthy, and maybe something a little different to kind of give them a little bit of a, of, of a diverse dinner that night. We wanna make them available at a reasonable price. And also at all of our farmer's markets, we take um, EBT uh, or food stamps and we actually do a personal discount on those as well. Um, uh, so we really just wanna make things, the fresh culinary experience uh, available to people kind of no matter where they're coming from as long as they're interested in it, we want to be here for them. Oh, that's um, and then, beautiful. And then, you, like I said, like, I just can't wait for, you know, there's already these little pockets of uh, things like the people who come back week after week with their grow kits and their kids are telling us that, you know, they just got a microphone or a, a microscope set for Christmas because they wanted to see more, you know, they're interested in learning more about science because, a little bit, at least because of our grow kits, because they've gotten to see this really neat process and, um, things of that nature. Like we're already getting these little pieces of feedback, which, um, I think really, uh, so those small little things that are lead lead to bigger cultural change. I agree. And I think it's so
0: important. It's so beautiful that you're bringing the kids along on this because, you know, I have five children and, I think it's so important that we inspire children with a love of the natural world because we are literally asking them to save it. And so they've got to fall in love with this world, right? <laughs> they've got yeah. to fall in love with the the things like the, the eagerness of seeing something grow, whether it's a plant or a fungi and the eagerness of like being curious about what they can't see.
1: Oh yeah. Right. And you, yes. you know, while kids are young, they see everything. Their parents don't notice the lion's mane on the tree. You know, they're the ones who come yes. in and say, what is this mushroom that I saw? <laughs> so uh, they, it really is uh, fascinating.
0: It really is. And I love that you're doing that. So what I want to say is I will put your farm info, your Peasants Parcel Farm in West Virginia, and I will put that farm info in the show notes so that people can find you online because you do, in fact, uh, provide online sales and you ship pretty widely, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, yeah. We, um Uh, We do. And uh, we also just love, you know, talking mushrooms and things. So if anybody ever reaches out to me um, with questions uh, via email or phone, I always try to get back as soon as I can. And um, even if it, which quite ha, happens quite often, even if it's just a lovely conversation, usually they're the one telling me they need to go. <laughs> so they're it's, like, it's oh, true. Gosh. It's true, everybody. Sharon, stop
0: talking. <laughs> so. Sharon will answer questions. I've peppered her with so many and she's always generously and generously answers them. And I am grateful for that. So I'm so glad we had this conversation, Sharon. And once um, I get a little bit more experience growing. I
1: want to have another one. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, have to let you know when our wine cap becomes available. Definitely. I will be lining up for that. <laughs> well, thank, thank you for you. having me, Liz.
0: Thank you so much for joining and keep on growing.
1: All right. Thank you. Have a great day.